that guy looks like a freshman or a professional athlete or something like that. But it's not true. I really am 41. Really? How many of you know where Lyndon Washington is? Okay, good. How many of you have been to Lyndon Washington? Very good. Uh, is Corey, no, Tara, I forget her last name first, is Tara Corey here today? Tara, are you here? Does anyone know Tara? She goes here, doesn't she? I was supposed to check on her. If you see her, tell her I asked. Okay? Here's one that'll shake me up. How many of you weren't even born in 1975? Ooh. It was quite a year. Would you like to hear a little bit about 1975? All right. Here are some of the events in 1975 in absolutely no logical order. All in the Family was the top television program. The number one pop song of the year was Love Will Keep Us Together by the Captain Antonio. It was good. Angels, God's Secret Agents was a bestseller for Billy Graham. The film Jaws opened. The best picture of that year was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. The Viking unmanned spacecraft set off for its 500 million mile journey to seek signs of life on Mars. Uh, the U.S. Apollo and Soviet Soyuz spacecrafts linked up 140 miles above Earth. John Walker from New Zealand set a world record in the mile, 3 minutes and 49 seconds. Any Minnesota Viking fans here? <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers defeated the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> 16 to 6 in the Super Bowl. Communist North Vietnamese overran South Vietnam and the U.S. pulled out. Two assassination attempts were made on President Gerald Ford. The cost of mailing a letter went up from 10 cents to 13 cents that year. Any fans of the Cincinnati Reds? All right. They defeated the Boston Red Sox in the World Series that year. The unemployment rate in 1975 was 9.2%, up higher than any time since 1941. Inflation was 14.1% that year. Muhammad Ali beat Joe, George, uh, Joe Frazier by a TKO in the Thrilla in Manila. Leisure suits were in for men. O.J. <laughs> Simpson rushed for 1,827 yards on the football field. <laughs> Mood rings were popular. You don't even know what they are, do you? Uh, a Hewlett Packard hand calculator sold for $125. Atari of Japan introduced the first low-price integrated circuits for TV games. The first disposable razors were sold, along with the first non-stick chewing gum for denture wearers. 
And the first VCRs were produced for home use. That was the world back then. And the Master's College was different back then. It was called Los Angeles Baptist College. And uh, you have already met, by the way, some of the uh, 1970 contemporaries that I have with me this morning. They're sitting over on the side there. Uh, back then, all students housing, all students were housed in Hodgkiss Hall. That was the only dormitory. By the, yeah, I hope it's improved. The Rescience Center was new, and it was an exciting addition to campus. Viter Hall was where all of the professors' offices were. Bross Gymnasium was a gym. <laughs> and most of our classrooms were held up in these rooms that are on this end of the gym. Rutherford Hall was administration and classes downstairs, cafeteria upstairs. The Science Hall, is that still around? What used to be the old Science Hall? That's where we had... Classes and labs. King Chapel uh, was a place for classes and music. Powell Library was a place for sleeping. <laughs> Dr. Duncan lived next door to Powell Hall in what is now the music building. And special meetings when we had them, we went down to the Placerita Baptist Church in order to have a nicer setting for those. Uh, I think there are still some professors around that were here when we were here. Dr. Gruss, uh, Dr. Duncan... Uh, Dr. Howe, uh, Dr. Anglin. Dr. Howe, are you here? Oh, boy. Uh, Lynn Carruthers was sort of an assistant in those days. Professor Hodgkiss, Dr. Stead, and if I've forgotten any, I hope I won't be graded down for that. We brought away with us a number of grand things from this school. And I would have to say among the more special things was the value of scholarship and hard work. We learned to study here. And it was impressed on us to do the homework and do it well. We learned that here. Commitment to the word and to integrity. A commitment to be well prepared. All of those are qualities I brought on into the workplace with me. Also, some practical lessons I learned. Uh, wash the colored clothes separate from the whites. <laughs> Sometimes it's safer just to eat peanut butter. And... Parents are smarter than we ever imagined. Uh, we had different rules then, too. We had the six-inch rule. Do you still have the six-inch rule? Back in those days, there was no physical contact allowed at the Master's College. You could not hold hands or hug or kiss. Is it still that way? Okay. You could give a girl a, a I really admire you and appreciate your mind kiss now. Did you do that? Okay, good. All right. I have it on very good authority that Dave Duncan, who was introduced earlier and who was our student body president in 1975, gave Linda one of those kinds of kisses right in the practice room when it was illegal. Oh, it wasn't Linda. I'm sorry, Dave. <laughs> Well, pay for that one later. <laughs> Every generation has had its own slang. Words that have one meaning in the dictionary, but in the common usage and vernacular mean something entirely different. A lot of those slang words have been used as adjectives. 
And often those who aren't informed haven't the slightest idea of whether they've just heard a compliment or an insult, whether the person hated the thing they were talking about or loved it. For example, a few years ago, when something was said to be bad, that meant it was really very, very good. And back a little further, this will date me, when something was said to be out of sight, it didn't mean you couldn't see it, it meant you really liked it. I think the secret is to listen to the intonation of the person's voice when they say it. And you've got yours now. There's a slang word that I think has been around ever since I was young, and I think you still use it. It's considered a compliment. It's the word cool. Is that still around? I hope it is. Or I might as well just pack it up and pray, actually. <laughs> Now, if you told some of the older folks among us that you had a cool friend, they might volunteer to loan him a coat. But he wouldn't actually need a coat because cool doesn't mean moderately cold. It means that that person ha is a guy who is really a great guy. And if a person is really, really cool, that means he has an air about him, a certain nonchalant, casual... Unruffled attitude, he's calm, he's confident, and he's unimpressed with what's going on. High school guys like to be cool. Have you noticed that? A couple of years ago, I prayed at the Linden High School graduation when they used to allow that, and there were a lot of cool guys there that evening. It was one of the biggest nights of their lives. They were graduating into manhood and independence, but they were cool, believe me. They took it all in stride. They didn't get excited. They didn't get radical. They just stayed calm like it was about the 20th time they had graduated. No big deal. If people look at you and they see that you're relaxed and kind of unimpressed, they'll say, now there's a cool guy. There's a cool gal. At graduation night, it was cool to be cool. So when I got up to pray, I didn't act excited. I didn't get a big grin on my face. I acted like it was my fourth graduation prayer that day. No big deal. And I was cool. And I have to tell you, though, there are times when it is not cool to be cool. Times when it's entirely inappropriate to be casual and unruffled and unimpressed. One of those times is when your date for the spring banquet meets you at the door and she's gorgeous. It's not cool to be cool. It's not cool to drool either. <laughs> but you do need to be impressed and you need to let her know that you're impressed. When your kindergarten daughter brings home her first work of art and it's horrible. Our daughter brought home a picture that scared our younger son. <laughs> Honestly, he ran and he hid and we were worried that he would have nightmares. But even so, it isn't cool to be cool. If you're the parent, you better be impressed and let her know that you're impressed. When your guy shows up after a workout, started strutting his stuff and he's doing the old flex things, you know, this stuff, trying to show you his muscles and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, where are they? That's not the time to be cool. That's the time to gush something like, you are the most muscular, manly man I have ever seen. There is one area in which a lot of people try to be cool, though, and it's all wrong. 
Too many believers today try to be cool when it comes to spiritual things and their relationships to God. After leaving here, I'll be honest with you, I have experienced pressure throughout all of these years to become disconnected, dispassionate, and unconcerned about spiritual things. Every week I battle that. How about you? What was your attitude in coming to chapel this morning? Were you excited? Did you come prepared to sing with all of your heart and dig into the Word? Or was your plan to slip in for a quick snooze and mumble a few tunes and worry about the next class and endure the sermon? Spiritually cool people try to never get too excited about worship. And spiritually cool people try to keep spiritual conversations to a minimum. Spiritually cool people avoid getting involved in ministry. Spiritually cool people like being considered Christians but the rest of the stuff, they could take it or leave it. And by the way, spiritually cool people like going to a Christian college for an education, but they don't want God to think that it means they're making any long-term commitments. It's interesting what we observe about parents, and someday all of you will be parents, and I hope you don't take the coolness, if you have it now, into parenthood. But parents who try to be cool spiritually create some interesting impressions on their children's minds. When kids see dad get all excited over a basketball game or hear him talk for hours about fishing but see the same guy yawn in church and suddenly shut up when questions about God's word come up, even though dad acts cool, you know what they figure? They figure spiritual things aren't. And those same kids see their mom giggle with delight over a sale at J.C. Penney's or swoon over some certain movie star that comes on TV, but hear the same mom complain about the church services and notice that she rarely opens her Bible. And even though mom acts cool, you know what the kids figure? They figure spiritual things aren't. You may have a ministry where you work with young people. Could I give you a hint? The only way to convince kids that something is really cool is to not act cool when you're doing it. We must take great care not to be casual and detached about God's work and God's word, or we may empty all of the churches in one generation, because the next generation will just figure, hey, it isn't cool. It's time that we got excited about spiritual things. It is time that we got passionate about God's Word. It's time that we got stirred up about our Christian walk. It's time that we got inspired about sharing our faith with other people. There are times when it isn't cool to be cool. One of those times is when we're worshiping and loving our God. If we think that we can get by with a whole hum Christian walk and kind of on our way to heaven. We are sadly mistaken and we have misread God and what he demands of us. Do you know what God wants you to feel about him and his work? Do you? Many years ago, a lawyer came to Jesus and he asked him, what was the greatest commandment? In other words, what rule should people really give their lives to? What instruction should capture their attention and excite them? He was asking what one thing was most important to God. 
And Jesus' answer was very interesting. It's found in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. I'll be reading from the NIV. goes down through verse 40. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus quoted the Old Testament there. It was part of, the pa- of a passage that was very familiar to every Jew in Jesus' day. It was perhaps the most quoted, the most copied passage of Scripture in that day. In fact, every faithful Jew recited it twice a day. It was copied on small pieces of parchment and placed in small leather pouches, which were tied with leather thongs on their foreheads. Orthodox. Committed Jews placed copies of this same command that we just read in small boxes, and then they nailed them to their doorposts in the entrances to their homes. And they knew that God wanted them to love Him. They knew God wanted them to serve others and do His work. It was all around them. It was quoted twice a day. It was hanging from their foreheads. It was nailed to their doors as they went in their houses. There was no mystery to them, but Jesus spotted it right away, didn't he? They were being cool. I think even a casual reading of Matthew chapter 22 will tell you God never intended for his people to be cool when it came to worshiping him and doing his work. The passage is intense and it's demanding. Three times our all is called for. You can't be casual and detached and obey these verses. you got to choose one or the other. you got to be cool or you got to follow these instructions. I'd like you to look at them with me for just a little more detail. The Hebrew word for love used in Deuteronomy 6.5, the passage that Jesus quoted, primarily referred to an act of the mind and will. It spoke of a decision to love and care for another person. Now, emotion was there, but the outstanding features were dedication and commitment of choice. It was a Hebrew equivalent to agape love. And so we aren't talking about some goosebump. We aren't talking about an emotional wave that will come over you, though that may happen. Don't necessarily wait for those. This was a decision to love God and to give oneself to Him. Christ said that's the kind of love that God wants, a determination to cherish and follow Him. And then notice how He wants us to love. It says, with all our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds. To the ancient Hebrews, the heart referred to the center of one's being. The soul was more along the lines of what we call our emotions. The mind came from a root that spoke of energy and strength. In this verse, it refers to mental, intellectual drive, vigor, and strength. In short, 
God intended for us to love him with everything we are and everything we have, like he's the only thing to us. He wants us to love him with every ounce of love and will and emotion and energy in us, not 50% of our hearts and not 40% of our emotions and not 60% of our minds, but... 100% of all of us. Does that sound like being cool to you? Not to me. Look further to how he wants us to serve others. We are to handle and love others, everyone else, the way we handle and love ourselves. I can almost guarantee it. There is nobody you look out for, nobody you care for like you do you. Now, contemporary uh, interpretations would like us to see this as some command to love ourselves. Frankly, I just don't see that there at all. Uh, I think Jesus already assumed that we loved ourselves And that we were doing that with great faithfulness because I can't picture him saying to us, listen, you got a lousy love for yourself. Will you share that with somebody else? Give that to other people. That'll be great. No, he assumed that we had a wonderful appreciation for us and we looked out for us. And therefore, it would be a wonderful gift to share with other people. And once again, there's a call to give everything. It's tough to be cool and do that. Jesus finished by saying that all the rest of Scripture hung on these two simple commands. In other words, if we obey these two, we will be well on our way to obeying all the rest of Scripture. And the implication is this. The negative side of it is this. If we are not obeying the command to love the Lord with all our hearts and souls and minds, and if we aren't loving our neighbors, our friends, as ourselves, it is likely that there are a lot of other scriptures we're also disobeying. And if we're cool, when it comes to God's two primary commands, we probably have a lot of other spiritual problems as well. You may feel like it is perfectly fine to be casual about God and his work, but I must warn you, storm clouds may be gathering on your horizon. Because God never intended that we have that kind of relationship with him and his people. People who are cool when it comes to spiritual things are often only a few steps away from disaster. I meet them in my office all the time. Often after the disaster comes, their marriages are breaking up, their kids are in trouble, their souls are parched, others of their relationships are in a mess. And they tell me that they consider themselves to be pretty good Christians. They come to church pretty regularly. They try to read the Bible some but they're busy. I know it could be better, but life is tough. 
And I look at them and I ask them, Oh, you mean you're cool? And they look at me with a inquisitive stare on their faces. You see, average, even to be average when it comes to God, is dangerous. You don't have to be a rebel. Just be an apathetic average. Play the games. Put in your time. Don't get too excited. Don't become too fanatical. And you will bring me or someone else like me your problems someday. People who are yawning and casual about God are in dangerous territory, no matter how safe they feel this morning. And they make such a bad impression on our world. In their heyday, the communists used to tell their workers, and I quote, There is a great battle going on all over the world, which in the final analysis is a struggle for the hearts and minds and souls of men. See any parallels between that and our passage this morning? A few years ago now, Douglas Hyde handed in his resignation as the news editor for the London Daily Worker. That was the communist newspaper in that town. For 20 years, he had been a loyal, dedicated worker. But questions led to uneasiness, which eventually led to the rejection of the party. A few years later, a religious organization asked Hyde to do a leadership training seminar on why the communists were so dedicated and successful as leaders, while other organizations and their people weren't. His book, Dedication and Leadership, was a result of that seminar. In it, he describes through narrative and interviews the kind of dedication he found in the Communist Party. One man, already holding a full-time job, described his evening schedule this way. I dashed home, had a quick meal, and then went out, maybe to attend class, maybe to be a tutor, maybe to join some communist campaign, going from door to door, canvassing or standing at the side of the road, selling communist papers, doing something for communism. And I went home at night and dreamed of the jobs I was going to do for communism the next day. For most members, from the time they rose in the morning till the time they went to bed at night, 365 days a year, communism was the dominant force in their lives. You know what they used to say about themselves? We are 100 percenters. They'd brag about that. You know what they used to say? All around the room this morning, there may be some people whose uh, hearts beat with mine. As you've listened to God's Word and you've considered its impact on your life this morning, you would like to pray with me and make a dedication. And I'm going to pray a prayer for myself and for you in just a few moments, and I would encourage you to silently join me as I pray. Father, we thank you for making us your children. You know we didn't deserve it. It's amazing to us that while we were your enemies, you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. 
And Father, you know that we're made of dust, and so you must know, too, that we have a tendency to take things for granted, including you. Father, this morning we want to come back to you, your children. We want to dedicate ourselves, commit ourselves to loving you with all of our hearts and souls and minds and to loving the people around us as we love ourselves. We ask you to give us the strength to do these things because we pray them in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.